Welcome to FRT episode 90. I'm Brad Carr of the IF, once again in the suburbs of Washington. Today we're going to turn our attention across the Atlantic and beyond to the Middle East and the Maghreb, where we have a couple of terrific guests. And for that, I'm joined by my IAF colleague, Garbus Aradian, our Chief Economist for Middle East and North Africa. I often follow Garbus for his updates on the oil market, but he also did some great pieces last year on Lebanon and Iran that were quite fascinating. He has a couple of other really insightful recent reports, which I'll mention at the end of this episode. We're actually bringing together a couple of conversations that Garbus and I have had recently with some leading thinkers in the region. Firstly, we're going to speak with Yuri Misnik, Chief Technology Officer at First Abu Dhabi Bank and a member of the IAF Steering Committee on Digital Finance. And then we're going to turn to Egypt and speak with Amr Ayetia Ahmed, Trade and Working Capital Manager at Bank Misra. Amr recently authored a great article on the digital transformation journey in Egypt, both for financial services and for the economy as a whole, and we'll pick up some of those highlights with you. Let's start with Yuri. I think sort of the whole digitization agenda, and it's not just digitization, it's probably sort of three main pillars which, which are being developed in, uh, in, in UAE. Uh, as probably the sort of the center uh, or, or the sort of the organic center of the um, uh, sort of innovation in in, in the region, uh, one is digital and one is sort of essentially meaningfully focused on uh, providing a wide range of services, whether it's a public services or um, uh, you know, financial service or any other services digitally to customers. And as you probably know, we are. Uh, one of uh, one of the largest penetrations in the world of the smartphone, so that that gives us a really really good platform to to adopt this type of reach applications and reach uh, engagement services with the uh, with the government. But also, it's complemented by two other things: data and AI. And and a lot of effort and a lot of strategic initiatives uh, happened uh, in the last few years. I mean, you know, going all the way into sort of creating a first AI university. Uh, uh, in the in the country, I think maybe sort of in the world, uh, uh, as well as sort of building and consistently driving sort of the competences and, and education. So it's been it's been running for a while. And uh, when COVID uh, when COVID happened, uh, I think the progress was already there quite significantly. And we've seen some uh, some transition. We've seen some increments. For example, um, in financial services, we went into sort of e-signature type of model where we took away the, there was still some paper-based processes and we moved away from it. Uh, we've seen quite a bigger adoption from a sort of digital-only branches, for example. But on a national level, I think sort of the state where the country was and the, uh, and the direction where it was going was already very actively driving this. So that means uh, you, at the moment, if you look at it from the sort of citizen's perspective, uh, pretty much any service, any public service uh, you can get, uh, you can receive digitally. A lot of work was done in the last year is trying to drive digital health as well uh, in terms of remote um, interactions with doctors, remote appointments, which I think was a massive, massive benefit, especially when you have sort of the COVID um, spike of uh, you know patients and, and and doctors, and you try to sort of contain the interaction of people. Um, yeah, so so that's that's been driving, and I, and I think sort of uh, I'm not saying the digital will ever finish, will ever end. There's definitely lots of areas where it can can move forward, but uh, the ability for uh, for us to interact digitally with most of the public services, uh, what we've done in banking, what central bank has essentially allowed us to do from the perspective of you know removing the face-to-face -face contact was probably one of the big big. 
reasons why sort of UAE was um, that successful in dealing with pandemic. Yuri, I'd like to, to drill into a couple of the things you mentioned there. I think that's a great overview of, of a lot of what you've seen, seen at, a, at a national innovation level. Um, one of the things you mentioned there was digital identity. And I know there's been the innovation with the UAE pass. Uh, we previously had Torsten Klein-Buning when he was Chief Risk Officer at Deem Finance speak with us on episode 71. And he cited the, the UAE pass as one example of where the government had been particularly helpful with the onset of COVID in helping to expedite some of that development. And I was wondering if you can talk a little about both, I guess, the criticality of digital identity in the new economy, but, but specifically also what the UAE pass example has meant for financial services. Absolutely. I think this is a great example where, where we've seen these things happening uh, probably about 12 months ago. The UAE pass was first sort of rolled out and adoption has started. And uh, it's, uh, you know, to register for the UAE pass, there still have to be a little bit of, a, uh, of an interaction either with the kiosk uh, or with the uh, sort of with some of the uh, services or public services which help you drive it. But this is uh, one of the key enablers for us, uh, especially in the uh, financial services, because it opens up so many possibilities all the way from just a normal KYC and identity verification uh, with account opening, but also going into sort of the things like digital signature and, uh, and more sort of uh, digital native fulfillment of um, originations of loans or mortgages, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I think we, we were seeing sort of, uh, we've seen a spike of adoption before the COVID. I think after that, it sort of slowed down a bit, mostly because people were preoccupied with some other things. Uh, it was not at the top of the list. Uh, but we, we're actually driving this very, very actively. And we also see uh, UAE Pass as becoming sort of the, um, uh, the platform, uh, the identity platform, which will allow us to have access and connect multiple services government services, banking services, telco services together and sort of potentially, I think we were starting to think about whether it could be an opening for, a, uh, you know, open, I don't call it open banking, it's just banking, so open data type of open API, uh, you know, economy and interactions. So definitely critical, definitely important. And we're seeing more and more adoption. Uh, and uh, I think we, we all, all banks here have some sort of plans uh, to start integrating with the UAE Pass more actively, either across the whole stack, at least in the retail space. A lot of what you've said there really resonates with with the work we've been doing on the Open Digital Trust Initiative, which has been very much about using the open API environment as a means where a, a consumer, a citizen can control their identity and have that passed through secure APIs where needed at their own control. And I think there's a great opportunity there for financial institutions to be leveraging their strong history as protectors of identity, protectors of data, as a means of ensuring that they're useful in, in customers' lives across different sectors. And a point you make there about some of those uh, areas of interoperability, if you like, across different walks of life, it really picks up the point that SecureKey CEO Greg Wolfand made on FRT with us a couple of weeks ago, that, that importance that we're not thinking of financial services in a vacuum in the way that we approach digital identity, but but very much integrated with some of these other sectors and walks of life. You're absolutely right. And and I think that we, we've had a few conversations, very deep conversations with uh, with authorities as well as Central Bank and Banking Federation on the open banking, not from the perspective of just open banking, but how will, what do we need to do in the country and sort of in an economy to to see adoption of this open data and open standards uh, across? and. The biggest question, which from my perspective, we still need to tackle, one is identity for sure, right? An ability to, to meaningfully federate 
across things. But the second one is consent and ability for the consumers and customers to understand when they're sharing their data with third-party providers and when they're sharing their data with between different institutions, what are they actually committing to? What are the implications of that? How to drive sort of consistency in the use cases? So because when you when you are sharing your identity, what are the purposes of sharing this identity? Whether it's for verification, whether it's for some sort of analytical aggregation, whether it's for promotion, et cetera. So I think there's a big slice of this customer consent our data governance layer, which we've all sort of tried to tackle on the on the corporate level, and in banking, that's a big, big topic, of course. But it need will have to be translated into the the language which consumers understand, and and which we all consistently use between all the parties, uh, so that it's not creating confusion and uh, sort of un, unhappiness um, uh, in the retail customers and corporate customers. Absolutely. I also want to pick up another theme you mentioned earlier, where you, you described some of the great innovations happening as part of the, the national strategy. And you also made the comment that the progress was already there pre-COVID. And it, it resonated with me thinking of a, a comment that NatWest CEO, Alison Rose, made at our annual meeting last October, where she talked about, uh, from a bank's perspective, having made all of these investments in technology over the last 10 years and then suddenly finding in 2020 that customers st suddenly started to use them. Uh, and, and I'm interested in your thoughts, both perhaps taking that view of, of the national level initiatives, but perhaps also from the banks. You know, Is it a sense of uh, it's the, the customer adoption, the, the forced adoption scenario of 2020 um, that's really brought a lot of the, the innovations, the investments suddenly to life? I absolutely, and I think sort of this big joke about who was driving a digital transformation, like uh, CIO, CTO, or COVID. Uh, that that's uh, you know it, it is part of a joke, but but some of it definitely changed the dynamics in uh, in the in the customer space. Um, we we've seen a very very big spike, uh, organic spike, and also a spike which was to some degree enabled our by by our technology work. Uh, into the cell service transactions. And so we're having more than 85% transactions done digitally. Um, but it's not just that. So, so for example, we've, uh, what we've done here is that we've, we've implemented, we started actually rolling out digitally only branches, which means sort of we still understand that customers want to you know, have a habit of coming into the place, into some specific place to do banking. But on the other side, there's no need for them to interact with the bank staff. They can do it sort of in a meaningfully self-service, much faster. You know, you reduce congestion, you reduce crowds, uh, etc. So, so that gives us um, uh, that gives a big thing. Uh, e signatures, very simple thing, which which sort of uh, essentially sits on the surface. But we've we've seen corporates and and government institutions very very quickly uh, moving and adopting that of sort of e signature. We managed to roll it out in, in literally four weeks' time. Uh, and uh, you know, effectively doing corporate banking without having this paper-based trail, without having the face-to-face -face interactions, working from home. So it wasn't necessarily the COVID point. It was more about, you know, I'm I'm in a lockdown. I'm sitting at home. I'm still working, and we want to make sure economy continues. So, and it literally, I was surprised that that it we haven't seen this big adoption curve, right? It literally happened. So we rolled it out and. Uh, in a week, everyone was using it, and people somehow managed to get in. So I actually think we, in many cases, we underestimate the willingness of um, our customers, uh, clients, to jump onto technology and start using it. And I think what COVID demonstrated us is that, you know, 
it's possible and it's doable and they're actually okay. So, so essentially, from my perspective, one big lesson learned for us is that we we are planning to be much more uh, persistent and much more um, much faster in in rolling out new things, which new technology, new journeys, new capabilities, and even if it feels you know uncomfortable on day one, it very quickly becomes the norm. Yuri, you've already touched on a few of the key themes of, of the digital transformation agenda at First Abu Dhabi Bank. We've talked about digital identity. You've, met, you've highlighted the digital-only branches. We've talked about customer adoption. Perhaps if I could ask you one other aspect of the, the transformation agenda and, and about some of the sophisticated analytics. And you talked earlier about the the, the, uh, the adoption of, uh, of AI um, within the UAE. I'm um, wondering if you can talk a bit about the the analytics agenda and the extent to which that is is necessarily underpinned by infrastructure such as cloud, for instance. I mean, that's a great topic. And 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 it's when we talk about AI, it's usually the multiple layers which you you should try to unpickle. It's like an onion, and you start thinking about things. First of all, there's definitely a lot of things which we consume, which are uh, sort of which are using AI behind the scenes. You know, we do you know fraud monitoring. We do some AML workloads. We do some um, you know document recognition and uh, document fraud, and all of it is actually done with some sort of AI capabilities or machine learning capabilities behind the scenes uh, to 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 help us uh, you know increase the uh, the success rate and sort of remove the remove the noise. We're also doing lots of work around uh, you know voice capture and voice analytics for a contact center. So we we're opening up some interesting use cases in terms of regulatory, but as well as just sort of sentiment analysis and and and, and monitoring. So that's that's pretty much this AI comes out of the products themselves, and we're getting more and more of it. But we're now starting to uh, to do much more around um, and much more analytics um, around um, our customer behavior, our customer transactions, and not just do it for our own purposes, not just doing for our sort of risk management or uh, or, or sales uh, processes, but much more around sort of enabling back, giving it back to customers, uh, whether it's elements of sort of liquidity management, whether it's some analytics uh, around the cash flow. Um, other interesting thing we just launched uh, in the country, I think the first uh, blockchain-based uh, trade finance, um, so trade guarantees uh, system, which is slowly getting adopted. So, and for us, cloud is is sort of uh, it, it, it's inevitable prerequisite because I'll give you a few examples. First of all, when the COVID happened, we realized that we cannot go to the data center, which became a bit of a surprise. And the good thing is that we've actually been on the journey for a while. So we had our video infrastructure running on Azure. We have our conferencing. So a lot of the stuff was actually uh, happening in the cloud already. We also had a very long conversation with, with Amazon on, on, on that. We're working with a national cloud provider called Group 42, uh, on 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 running it all together. So, but for us, cloud is 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 critical because it allows you to do things fast. It it allows you to you know try and deploy things much quicker without necessarily long term long term buying cycles and long term commitment cycles. Because the, the the most interesting bits in this in this data space and AI space, first of all, you need large volumes of data, and you need a very efficient and cost effective way to to store these large volumes of data. And that's that's sort of as a clouded for you. But on the other side, they, they, the environment is changing very frequently. Uh, you want to, you need to be able to, you know, try something, drop something, upgrade systems, implement new capabilities, and and that's that's of another big piece. 
Plus, I think that the last bit here is that a lot of this underlying foundations, whether it's voice recognition, speech, um, speech to text conversion, for example, uh, um, we're doing some interesting work uh, using some of the uh, image recognition and analytics to monitor our workplace uh, and lobbies and show people visually how far away they're from each other so that they understand what two meters is and they don't sort of bump into each other. That's something like that was was a very, very, you know, um, attractive uh, and interesting offering, which made our staff more confident that they, you know, that the customers and staff can come to the branch and, and actually be safe there. So cloud actually powers all of it. Uh, and, uh, you know, we want, absolutely want to benefit from it. And I think our central bank is probably one of the most progressive central banks I've talked to in the last five years. So very much on the journey, they, 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 the central bank of UAE very much understands that this is the way the country is going and industry is going. And uh, it's it sort of, again, and they're, they're learning uh, and they are adjusting to, to that reality, which I think is amazing. The UAE was hit by two shocks. The first one is the pandemic, the COVID-19, and the second one is the relatively low oil prices because uh, the UAE, although it's a diversified economy, it relies also on uh, oil exports. Uh, uh, however, overall, our assessment shows that they handled the situation very well. The health impact was limited and partly because of the uh, young population of the UAE. As you know, more than 80% of the population are expats, and uh, usually expats are uh, under 60 years old. Uh, so some statistics show that uh, the proportion of the population over 60 years old is less than 2% in the UAE. So that, that played uh, a major role in limiting the impact, plus also the contain, uh, containment uh, measures that the authorities uh, introduced uh, in the first uh, quarter of last year and in April. Nonetheless, like other countries, the economy contracted and our estimates show something around 6% contraction uh, in real GDP. Um, however, the outlook is promising. We think uh, that if the, uh, the impact of vaccine is contained by mid uh, of this year with the progress made in vaccination, as Yuri mentioned, uh, uh, there has been uh, progress uh, in the number of vaccination as a proportion of uh, the population. Now about 25% of the population are vaccinated and this is the second highest in the world after Israel. This is something good. Um, so plus the new drivers of growth for the coming years, which will be the technology. Uh, Yuri spoke about uh, the role of digitalization, the progress made. Uh, this will play an important role in the outlook of uh, the UAE, UAE economy. So initially for now, we, we're expecting that the economy could recover by around 2.5% uh, this year. However, gradually, uh, it, the outlook will be more promising. 
uh, with the progress made in uh, technology, because the, the progress made in technology will raise the productivity of uh, capital and labor. And I am um, encouraged by some of the measures that the authorities introduced, like the legal reform. Uh, I think Yuri, you know more than us so what has been there uh, to attract. Uh, more qualified experts. So with such legal reform and the incentives provided, the UAE will be able to attract experts in uh, uh, certain uh, sectors. And uh, from the economic point of view, human capital is very important to uh, judge uh, the potential growth of the country. On the monetary side, it has been accommodative. The Central Bank of the UAE did an excellent job by being more flexible in regulatory forbearance. Uh, overall, the banking system is relatively sound because they started from a uh, solid base with high capital adequacy ratio as measured by tier one, liquidity was high. However, there are certain risks uh, in the period ahead because we are in an environment of very low interest rates. So that could affect uh, a little bit the profitability of the banks as in other countries. Uh, on the fiscal side, uh, overall, uh, the fiscal situation is still sound, uh, and we think that uh, the authorities could adopt a more expansionary fiscal policy given the large financial buffers available to the UAE. The UAE has large public foreign assets in the form of official reserves of the central bank, and the sovereign wealth fund, which accounts to more than 200% of GDP. And now it's the time for the authorities to increase its investment in specific sectors like technology and other infrastructure, because the investment to GDP ratio, which is one indicator of the capital stock in the country, has declined in the past few years. And uh, we think that the authorities in the period ahead will encourage more investment in specific sectors, particularly uh, technology. And this could boost the potential growth in the country. And we wouldn't be surprised if we see uh, growth rate picks up to something around three or four uh, percent over the medium term. I'm probably the the least qualified person to talk about sort of financials and uh, and, and economics, but we've definitely seen and what I've definitely seen uh, uh, here, being in the region for probably uh, 18, 15, 15, 16 months, is uh, a huge amount of focus uh, across actually all authorities in Dubai and and, and Abu Dhabi on on technology innovation. Well, a very, very interesting uh, push for fintech uh, environment and fintech ecosystem from Abu Dhabi Global Markets and the central bank with a very ambitious goals to drive and attract uh, much more um, much more friendly and how to say much more dynamic fintech ecosystem here that also been supported by the regulatory uh, regime, uh, which will allow sort of the uh, more non-trivial scenarios in the financial sort of neo banks, neo financial technology world, like right that. So, so we've definitely seen that. 
Um, and uh, and again, so I think sort of the massive focus and massive investment uh, in the digital and data AI infrastructure at the government and public server public service level, uh, going all the way from you know just basic services and access to basic you know traffic police healthcare, um, uh, you know identity services going a little bit much more in terms of analytics on the you know traffic uh, security um, uh, contact tracing and uh, uh, and sort of the the, the, the movements of the population that's that's been uh, that's been been great and, and we're seeing this sort of um, more from the sort of normal person perspective we're seeing it expanding into the very different areas you know the uh, airlines and um, you know both Etihad, I think, and Emirates, they're driving very more, much more innovation in terms of, you know, how to do check-in processes, identity processes, like, again, to some degree driven by the safety concerns, but on the other side, enabled by all this massive uh, pile of knowledge in in, in data. When you do, you know, when you do contactless registrations, uh, when you actually, you know, literally, we, 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 you, can, you can walk through the, the corridors um, in uh, without actually ever opening up your passport, and it all done for the face recognition and the uh, and and the image recognition thing. So the identity comes with you. So I think that will drive much more flexibility on the ideally much more attractiveness for the tourism. So you'll have uh, you have the flow of uh, of the things coming in. And uh, we also seen quite interesting things uh, in terms of changing in custom behaviors like contactless uh, payments and wallets massively jumped up. In the last uh, in the last year, again, driven by the fact that we have a large proportion of uh, population here who is doing money transfers uh, internationally, and that was started happening through wallets rather than going to a traditional sort of paper-based things, which opens up a lot of interesting things from the data analytics perspective of how you can drive and, and engage with them. So absolutely, absolutely, uh, I'll be with Garbus, and, and we're already probably seeing this big focus and big investment uh, into the technology sector, not just technology for technology, but technology sectors in every part of the industry. Some really interesting success stories that Yuri highlights there, and government initiatives like the AI University and the UAE Pass, which have clearly helped the financial industry to take advantage of some of the leading digitalization opportunities. So let's turn now to Egypt, where Amra has written extensively about the efforts of the Ministry of Trade and Industry in their national digital transformation strategy over the last three years. We know that Egypt made uh, major progress in uh, digital transformation, particularly uh, the fintech. There has been significant progress in the past few years. Uh, uh, we know that the Ministry of Trade uh, and Industry uh, has a plan uh, for the next three years. Um, and recently I noticed in the budget 2021 uh, by the Ministry of Finance, they allocated uh, sufficient uh, spending for uh, the digital transformation initiative. Um, could you tell us in detail uh, the key measures that Egypt is following to uh, encourage uh, digital transformation? As you know, and as you say, our Ministry of Trade creates a plan uh, and Egypt a strategy plan regarding transformation 
we start by issue trading, online trading platform for African uh, consumer. And now uh, the ranking, uh, the online banking and the ranking will go into to serve that sector by we have Bank of Master the first license for the uh, digital banking, fully digital banking will support this initiative. The initiative contain the innovation and the knowledge and the participation in, in all trading fields to transform all business to digital. That is the full strategy. I have copy from the, that strategy and we set uh, many meetings with the ministry to uh, create this initiative and to input some points. Amra, I wanted to, to perhaps conclude by talking a little bit about some of the other themes in your, in your article um, about digital transformation, specifically with banks. And, uh, and I was wondering if you could give us your views around the, the key gaps that you see in banks' strategies and business models that have perhaps been exposed by the pandemic and, and maybe where the, uh, trying to react to these gaps has perhaps accelerated the process of digitalization. When the pandemic is starting, we, we have a customer experience, a bad customer experience, as we don't have uh, anyone to talk to the customers. The branches of banking is closed, and the call center received many calls from all the customers regarding its business. We have a payment issue, uh, like credit cards and, and, and some, some like uh, digital uh, uh, way of payment. The small business uh, lending need more credit. Uh, as you know, uh, the pandemic effect is very, very, very big for that sector. Finally, the fraud and security. Uh, uh, usually, uh, when we uh, buy any item, we give the credit card or the cartoon to present. But now, no, no, it's depend on tech and uh, fan tech uh, payment. That is a weakness I talk about in my article. The banking uh, recovery uh, take five uh, ways, as I see business continue. So the first one, business continuity and phase two, it's ROI focus, the improved technical areas like lending organization process and something like that. Phase three, we, we do some examination to our operational and remap depending to transformation strategy. Phase four, uh, acceleration, speed investigation and long-term transformation to meet the market needs. Phase five, innovation and the future enterprise depending on innovation and we make more initiative regarding the innovation and banking product to transform the digital and to make everything we can do to digital to save the business and to exist. Overall, I see the banking system in Egypt uh, sound. Uh, you look at the major indicators like capital adequacy ratio around 19%, non-performing loans is the lowest in several decades. It's only 4% now. So uh, it has been well managed. Uh, the difficulty that uh, the banking sector is facing is that they don't have enough branches in rural areas, for example, in far, far from cities. And here in, uh, we see the major role of uh, uh, fintech or digital transformation, which will facilitate the access of a large segment of the population where they don't have uh, proximity to uh, certain branches, physical proximity, so they can uh, enhance uh, their access uh, with the digital transformation or the fintech. Garbus, a couple of great points you make there, and, and I'd like to, to pick up with Amra and, and get his reaction. Um, 
because I think the, the, the five phases you've set out, um, Ray, make a lot of sense. And I think probably the truth for every bank is that you're probably in all five phases on different things at the same time. Um, but the, the point uh, Garbus makes about the, the shortage of branches in rural areas, in some ways that's been the, the traditional barrier to financial inclusion, that it hasn't been uh, sufficiently economic to have an extensive branch network out in the more sparsely populated areas. And maybe the mindset shift of getting beyond a branch-centric view to more of a mobile device-centric view helps to, to overcome that, I think. The point Garbus makes about the, the banks being well-capitalised if we think in a strategic context, the banks have ridden out the, the crisis of 2020 well because they've been well capitalised, because they've been able to achieve the things you mentioned, Amore, about business continuity and operational resilience. But the challenge moving ahead is um, ensuring that the business model is still viable and profitable into the future, into a new world where we have new competitors from the technology sector and the like. Um, and I was wondering, you know, perhaps, Amre, if, if you could talk a bit about the the role of digital transformation as we pivot from having kept the lights on through 2020, having kept the ability to serve customers in 2020 to uh, its role as a critical enabler for having a viable business into the future. Yeah, he, uh, the bank is depending uh, now to transform any way of business to digital. We issue in our bank the digital factory. We create that uh, digital factory to be like every every digital factory in other places in the world. We we have uh, we have stuff from Egypt and from uh, foreign uh, now 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 online. But we when we issue the digital factory, we have our colleagues from many places uh, from Germany, from USA, from Japan, from India, from some places to create our digital factory. Now we study all banking business and try to transform to digital, not our bank only. We start the processing and the CBE, Central Bank of Egypt, supported us. So we now we go into every, every, every business related to the country to transform. We have the public sector companies. Now we try and we, we bought the plan to uh, transfer its business to digital. We do the plan and we follow up that plan to be success. We start with the public sector. As you know, we uh, public sector bank in Egypt. We start we start with that. Now we, we try to create something not, not exist. Like we try to create our digital platform and create the public sector companies another to create its platform and integrate to be everything digital for consumer. Uh, now we try to uh, issue the regulation regarding uh, the physical payment or physical uh, uh, money uh, to decrease that processing. Now we create credit card and the debit card and the e-payment uh, electronic card, all electronic card for free to the consumer. We make all bank withdrawal from any machine for free, not for fees. We digitalize all governmental payment to be electronic. We do our platform called CBS. All payments, all governmental payments do now online, 24 hours and seven days. You don't need to go to anything. You need to open your computer and effect your payment. And uh, the payment effected now. The second phase, we will make fees, high fees for everything not digital if we have the digital way. So uh, she's a power bank and all banks go this way, supported by our central bank of Egypt. Garbus, we've had a couple of really interesting conversations 
both with Amir and with, with Yuri. And maybe if I could just run through some of the things that stood out for me and, and if I could add, invite you to add your reflections. I think listening to Yuri, you know, I think some really striking points were the fact that the UAE has one of the largest penetrations of smartphone usage. Uh, he talked a bit about the how that's complemented by the way in which data is used, the emphasis on AI, the creation of a, an AI university. There was a really interesting case about the the, the UAE pass and the role that that's having in digital identity. But also we heard Yuri talk about the uh, the role of digital-only branches as a key part of First Abu Dhabi Bank strategy. And uh, and I like the way that he described cloud as an, uh, an inevitable prerequisite. Um, at the IEF, we've often referred to it as being one of the, the foundational technologies of the new economy. But I like his framing as an inevitable prerequisite. And as he put it, it allows you to think fast and, and to deploy quickly. From Amir, a couple of things that stood out. He emphasised the fact that small businesses very much still need credit. In fact, I probably think they probably need it more than ever uh, in the current environment. Gave us some great examples about the, the digital factory that Bank Misra has in terms of where they're using that to bring expertise from around the world. But I, I really like the point he made about the, the criticality of explaining to the consumer um, the issues of data literacy and, and how getting customers comfortable with how their data is being used is really important for the supporting the adoption of new technology. And then I found just a couple of things that, that struck me both of, of commonalities and perhaps also some distinctions listing across the, the two of them. Firstly, in terms of, of customer adaptation with COVID and digital channels, Amir had recounted to us how customers initially had some challenging experiences with COVID, that they were unable to talk to anyone when they needed. Um, Garbus, I think uh, you, you lent in the point about how Egypt lacks a lot of branches in, in rural areas, for instance. Um, whereas Yuri was describing that the experience in the UAE, I think, was ca characterised a lot more by the digital progress that was already made pre-COVID, the faster adoption of new channels, and that probably placed the UAE community in a position that it was able to uh, absorb the COVID impact and the switch to new channels uh, more quickly and more readily. Um, of course, there's also the difference in the economic fundamentals underlying the two countries, um, Egypt having a desperate reliance on the return of tourism. Um, I'm forever grateful that I managed to visit the pyramids in November 29 before all of this started. Um, uh, and of course, in, in the case of the oil exporting countries of the region, the double whammy of not only COVID, but also commodity prices. The last point I really wanted to, to highlight that, that really resonated for me that we heard from both of them in common was this notion of the, the central bank support of the digital agenda. And, and we heard, I think, clearly from both from, from Yuri and from Amir, this notion that the, the central banks in both countries have been really supportive, that the firms and the central banks have been able to align and come along on that journey together. And it's a really important part that we've also seen in the, the IF Deloitte work we've done in, in realising the digital promise, um, the criticality of that as an enabler, and the, the role that, uh, that we and others have in, in helping to ensure that there is the, the exchange of information and the upskilling both in the private and public sectors in common. Those were some of my key takeaways, Garbus. You know, any reflections yeah. from you? Yeah, I think uh, you mentioned most of the relevant uh, uh, points uh, from the discussion we had. Overall, I would add uh, that the UAE is starting from a strong position. Uh, they have an excellent infrastructure. They invested in infrastructure, uh, whether roads, airports, and everything. And the next uh, remaining challenge for them is even to make further progress in investing in technology. And Relatively, if we compare it to many countries, they rank among the top 10 
For example, in our report, we mentioned that in terms of uh, ICT adoption, they ranked the second after South Korea. And in terms of digital legal framework, they are among the top four. So this is very encouraging when I see that, and this combined with the efforts that they are making to attract qualified experts and uh, giving them citizenship also. This is a fundamental uh, point uh, or uh, important for the potential growth of the country. And I feel optimistic about the future of the UAE in the coming years uh, for the reasons that we mentioned about the uh, progress made in technology. I want to thank Yuri, Amra, and Garbus. And I mentioned at the outset that Garbus has done some great recent reports, which you can find on the IAF website, including on the UAE and Egypt. Also some great analysis recently on Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states. I must admit that I don't normally read a lot about Uzbekistan, but I did really enjoy reading Garvis's recent piece there, which has a great snapshot of what the COVID impact and recovery looks like across a very different demography and economy. Looking ahead on FRT, a couple of things coming up that I want to highlight. Firstly, I'm going to speak with Piers Haven of the European Banking Authority. We're going to look at cloud adoption, the ethical use of data and machine learning. My colleague Natalia Bailey is going to speak with the Bank of England about their excellent recent report on AI during COVID. And we'll talk anti-money laundering and financial crime with Adrian Delacasa of Unicredit in Munich. Stay safe and please join us for those upcoming episodes. I'm Brad Carr. Thanks for being with us on FRT.